Welcome to the pod, everyone. A shout out to SGS. Hey, Rusty, why are we uh, partnering with SGS? Uh, uh, some, some, some good people there. Pretty excited about their sports coaching courses and sports courses. Keen to make them industry ready so when people leave, they're able to go and transfer it to any kind of industries, coaching, teaching, being an analyst, business, whatever it might be. So I think, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty exciting times, really. So what's so special about their degree courses that others won't be doing? I think it'll be lots of uh, real good partnerships, uh, opportunities for people to, to get into different contexts and learn and practice. It'll be feel very applied. People will be stretched and supported and will leave you know, ready to just go and thrive in the uh, big old world out there. SGS College is the home of Bristol's higher education sports programmes. The programmes are designed to develop unique, innovative and creative sports practitioners ready for industry. Do you want to be a coach or teacher of the future? Start your journey here at SGS College and become more than just a graduate. Visit sgscol.ac.uk to apply now. Well, live on the pod, James Bailey, Sunday evening. Uh, both had an exciting weekend, as you can imagine. How are you, mate? You well? Yeah, I'm all good, Rusty. How you doing? I'm cool, I'm cool. A little Groundhog Day. Uh, I've been doing admin, you've been watching telly, sofa, walking with the fam, all that type of stuff. How's um, And how's, how's lockdown treating you? Yeah, it's been... Um... Funny one. I think the the first one was, I guess there was a, a bit of novelty around it. The the part of being at home uh, with the family was was really cool. Uh, the weather was good. So I, that first one, I was I was good. Like I was I was, I was kind of, despite everything going on, I felt all right. This time around, not not so much. Just I'm just ready. You know, I'm just ready to, to move on now. And with the the cold weather and and some of the rain and whatnot, it's not as easy to be outside. So yeah, it's, I'm good. I'm all right. But I'm, yeah, I'm ready to ready to move on now. Nice. And you um, <clears throat> you probably got the same stage as me of that novelty of being at home with the missus is worn off for for her more than me. And so yeah. he's pretty keen to. And as a as a as a as a coach who's probably spent a fair amount of time away. Um, it'd be pretty weird being at home this often. Yeah, definitely. I think, like you said, my wife's getting sick of me now. Um, <laughs> I'm still, still, you know, trying to trying to put a silver lining. The the time I'm spending with my little boy, yeah, just trying to cherish that because, as you said, like the last you know, few years for me have been been busy and and charging off around the world and not and um, you know I was away a lot during his kind of early days. So actually, to be really present is is amazing and really important nice cool well, should we should we start at the beginning what uh what what led you to this moment in time uh where to start let's let's go right to the right to the start because i think it's probably got some some context to it so uh born in east london to a, a jamaican father and english mother um in the 80s when interracial relationships weren't the done thing um and i think the reason the reason i start there is because i think you know it's it's something which provides a bit of context in terms of my understanding my kind of lens of the world um growing up with with two very different cultures um having to to try and dig and understand 
um, my own identity in the middle of those two cultures is it's been something which I've had from from you know as long as I can remember like being really young I can remember feeling like actually feeling the difference of going to my dad's family on a Sunday for Sunday lunch and and the noises and the environment there and to going to my mum's family it was like both you know loving places and I enjoyed going but I could feel the difference they were, you know they were two different places so just working that stuff out in my head from a from a young age I think as I said gives gives a little bit of understanding in terms of my kind of lens um, of world and especially in an adult life um, in terms of in terms of like sport and rugby like huge sporting family my dad was a, a former national boxer my mum also loved sport but you know rugby wasn't really on the on the radar for me I, 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 my first love was was athletics track and field I wanted to be the next Linford Christie or Carl Lewis you know, I, I dreamt of that um, but yeah like rugby wasn't wasn't really one which I'd come across if I'm honest and it was it was only completely by chance that um I got introduced to the game. I went to stay with some family friends. They had two little boys. Their boys were going to, to rugby at the local club on Sunday. They said, James, you want to join? And I was like, yeah, give it a go. And, and that's where it all started. I think, you know, it was, uh, I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, I could barely catch the ball, but I was, you know, I was the self-proclaimed tag champion at school. Um, whether it be tag or as you got a little bit older and came kiss chase, like I was pretty good at that. Um, I think those some of those skills definitely um, helped me in those early days with with rugby. Um, I think actually, like looking back, I've, you know, this, you talk about lockdown. It's definitely been a, a an element of reflection. But actually, looking at the importance of rugby in my kind of younger life and, and adolescence was it was, was just a really important space for me from kind of the ages of eleven through to kind of. 15 I was getting a lot of trouble at school um and there was like a lot of negativity around my Monday to Friday and actually having Sunday where I could go and be good at something and sometimes tell people tell me that I was good at something was really important and actually deeper than that was you know my parents separated um when I was eight and actually rugby on a Sunday was uh, the day that they got back together, so they'd come, they'd, they'd you know they'd both come and watch me play. And actually, you know, only on reflection now, I probably how important those Sundays were in terms of my well-being and, and, and feeling good as, as a young person. So, yeah, you know, aside of enjoying the game and uh, and progressing and developing skills and the com camaraderie of, of a team sport and all that stuff, actually had some deeper meaning for me at that age. Um, and I just fell in love with the game. You know, my, my granddad gave me a cassette tape of the world's greatest players. And I watched that thing like a hundred times, fell in love with... Who was David on it? Campo. Campo. You're going to say Campo. Campo. Serge Blanco, uh, Guskert. Who else was on it? Yeah, I like, just remember, the, I specifically remember those three. And so I just become obsessed with, with them and... The first World Cup I really remember was 95 and I managed to record all the games and I just watched them back. You know, I just watched them back. I'd watch every game, Samoa against Argentina, Ivory Coast against Scotland. Like I'd watch all those games. So I, was, I, was, I became like a proper rugby geek, which um, again, like growing up was a different side of me because I, I, I tried 
being cool or trying to be cool was like quite important to me at that time, I, as I guess it is for a lot of kids. Um, but like, I really managed to geek out on rugby when I guess my, my close friends and my school, especially that you know early teens, rugby wasn't necessarily a cool thing to do. It's just okay, James is into that, and that's that's a bit weird. But we're glad he's into something. Um, and that passion, that drive. You know, one, I wanted to get better. I wanted to wanted to improve, and I started making some of the rep teams, and I actually made the the England under sixteens. Um, and it was that point I was like, well, you know, I could actually make a career of this. Like, this could be, this could be something that I do, and I can make money from, and can open up some opportunities. And you know, from there, it, it was a weird one because we didn't, you know, my family didn't really understand like what the what the pathway was like what how do you get from being an England under 16 to becoming a professional rugby player we didn't really understand that it was just kind of the process of you play for the county team you play for the regional etc um, etc et so we kind of gone this journey it was only speaking to the other parents that we started to understand about scholarships and private schools and, and kind of all this stuff so um, yeah my dad effectively became my agent and we went around schools up and down the country um, seeing if they wanted to, to offer me a scholarship. And I ended up going to Millfield for sixth form, um, which was an incredible experience. I, I was ready at that age to, to leave home, um, to go somewhere else and kind of uh, have that bit of independence, if you want to say it that way. Um, but yeah, just opened my eyes to, to so much. And, and that was probably the first time I also came across sevens, like there was a real strong sevens culture at, at Millfield and I started to fall in love with, with that format of the game. Um, and yeah, just just a real eye-opener in terms of so many levels of the people that I met and just the, I guess, the prestige of, of being at a school like that. Nice. And well, we'll, we'll get on to some stuff that came after that. And your dad must have been very proud as an ex-Jamaican boxer that his son became the national kiss chase champion at... Uh, at school. Um, I'm curious about, so you spoke about like that 11 to 15 and I just did like the my life in rugby bit. And that was the bit that got me going. This was so important in my life. Like, and I know you've spoken a bit about it from a, your parents coming together point of view and being a team. And like, I guess, I think it's something helpful for coaches to hear that like those years are kind of really important. If you're, if you're looking after those young people, what's the stuff that that was helpful? Uh, if I'm honest, it was just people showing that they cared about me. I said, like, school life was was not great in terms of you know, I was I was getting bad grades. It was a lot of if if a, if an adult spoke to me, it was normally because I was doing something wrong or they were telling me off. So actually, to have certain individuals um, show an interest in me. Um, show that I care, that they cared, that, um, you know, they could see something within me was, was just so important. And I think, you know, for me, that's the, the, the standout, those, those one or two teachers or coaches who would, you know, showed that, that interest in me, I think was what made the difference. Yeah. Sometimes wonder whether coaches realize that, you know, that smile or that high five or that, I love what you're doing there might be the only one people get all week. Yeah. We assume that you know all that stuff's going on in other in other domains as well. What about as you mentioned? It's a, I guess it's a big question about like your identity, um, and 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 also, I mean, 
what's been the stuff that also sounds like lockdown's given you a bit of thinking space. So where, where are you getting to with that question at the moment? Uh, wow. So definitely looking at key points and, um, you know, I think, is, is it, look, looking at it from a rugby point of view as well, is that rugby for me was like my, my platform. So again, going back to when I was a kid, one of the first activities I did was uh, dance. So I was doing contemporary, modern tap uh, and I'd go, I'd do shows and all this stuff. This was my mum's doing, but I was, I was quite good at it. Did a few shows. Uh, that all stopped when they said that I had to wear makeup. So <laughs> for one show, I had like lipstick on or something. I was like, oh, I'm not doing that again. But I think, yeah, when we talk about identity, I find I, I really flex between introverted and extroverted. So generally speaking, I'd, I'd suggest I'm introverted. I'd be more comfortable kind of sitting at the back of the room and observing, uh, speaking to individuals opposed to big groups. But then I've got this part of me where I actually enjoy being in front and actually showing what I can do. So looking back at childhood and, and kind of how rugby's played that, again, rugby's given me an opportunity to just sometimes show that extrovert um, side of me. And I guess how I wanted to play and the players that I liked, they were probably more around the, the, the maverick doing things a little bit different, which I, I found really interesting. Um, another key point for me was, was when I played in France. So I was, uh, was I like 26, I think, when I went out there. I went out, I had two days to make the decision to go. So basically I played at, played at Gloucester, had an incredible uh, four years there. They didn't renew my contract. I, I picked up a late deal to go to London Irish. Didn't work out for me there. I had injuries, uh, some real tough competition. Didn't play much. Um, I'd gone on holiday, no club. And my agent literally rang me as I arrived back after holiday at Heathrow Airport. He said, uh, Leon in France are interested in you. Um, they need you to fly out there on Monday. So this it was like Saturday. So I flew out there Monday, looked at the club, met, met the, the coaches, etc. Um, but they needed to know by the end of the week because of the, the they've got like a transfer window in, in France. So I had literally a couple of days to decide if, if that's what I'm going to do. But my gut was telling me, just go for it. Like the, the sense of adventure, um, I've always kind of had a, a a real curiosity about France. I was like, I'm going to go for it. But I went, I went, packed my bags. The next week, I was out there ready to start training. Didn't speak the language, didn't do French at school or anything. I was by myself. My my, my girlfriend at the time uh, was back in London. But what what that whole time really did for me was I could take so many masks off. Like all these masks that I'd had in my early 20s as a young professional rugby player and um, the things that I thought were important and, and, the, and some of the things that people would potentially put on me. No one knew me in France. I was like, you know, I was in a new city, new team, no one knew who I was. And it just enabled me to like pull off all these masks and just be a bit more authentic of, of, who, of who I was. So I think looking at certain landmarks around identity, I, I really started... I believe to find out who I was um, with that move, uh, and, and I, I say to anyone now, like moving to France for those three years was the best thing I've ever done. Nice. And how's your French now? Yeah. Okay. Like rusty. Um, it, it's, it's, it takes me like a day to kind of get my ear back in. So when I've been back to France uh, since then, it's like oh, 
I'm trying to, I, I can't understand what to say, but then it doesn't quite come out. But then after a day, I kind of get my ear back in. So, yeah, not too bad. No, it's Trebian, Trebian. Uh, the, um, I was thinking about, uh, so the um, kind of everyone's game type stuff, um, where people speak a lot about that, about being able to be yourself, being able to be authentic. Um, like, what do you think? Well, I was going to ask you about, like, what was your experience as a professional rugby, but what masks, what masks were you wearing? Wow. Um, I, I'm just thinking if I had to wear those masks as well. Um, yeah, like, like really, really, really interesting. Like, I'll throw this question back at you, Rusty, because like, we, we, we knew each other um, probably around that time, like the, the maybe the summer before I went to London Irish, like you, you'd coach me with, with Samurai and stuff. Like, well, what, you know, what was your perception? Like, what, what, did you, what did you see? What, did, what came across? Oh, mate, but, uh, I wouldn't have that strong a memory. Uh, I would... Uh, Generally, if you're playing in samurai stuff, then you're part of a, you, you would, I don't know, it would be quite a, uh, there'd be quite a lot of partying going on. It'd be quite social. Um, you'd generally be a decent player. Um, I would think you'd be, I'm quite surprised to hear some of the stuff you've spoken about before, about like being in trouble at school and stuff. I was thinking, no, not bails, no way. So I would have always seen you as quite a kind of a calming influence on people, um, like good part of a team, good teammates. Definitely would have had you as, you know, probably more introverted. Um, in terms of on the pitch, yeah, pretty pretty quick, pretty skillful. You know, could play thirteen, could play wing, could play fullback. Um, yeah, generally, yeah, that stuff. Why? What was I missing? What mask were you wearing? Yeah, I think the yeah a lot of that stuff definitely rings. I, I would, I think, would ring true if I thought about myself. I think the um, the bit around, uh, you know, sometimes I would. I'm quite good at camouflaging and fitting in. And uh, you said, you know, maybe being a, maybe that is part of being a, a good teammate. But um, it probably wasn't until I went to France where I was like, well, okay, this is me. Like this is this is who I am, and actually, sometimes being uh, in sometimes my actions more than actually vocally, but like standing up for things. So, you know, my my, my young playing career, sometimes stuff happened or, or, or things went on which I didn't agree with, but I kind of just let it slide, um, which probably made me quite agreeable. Like if um, even things around like selection, for example, if the, if the coach didn't want to pick me. I wouldn't be the player knocking on the door saying, well, okay, give me some feedback. Like, how do I get better? So I think things like that started to change. Not that all of a sudden I was, you know, the, the, the most vocal person in the team, but I kind of found myself a little bit. Um, and if, if uh, things can be quite broad now, if things went against what some of my principles and values were, I was probably more open to, to speak on those and to challenge those. And I think that's, uh, hopefully I'm at a point now where I, I definitely feel more comfortable doing that. Yeah, that would be, uh, <clears throat> that would be one of, lots of my experiences of professional rugby would be that being told by people, stay quiet, just, just get your head down, just ignore that. And, and actually some of the stuff I just wrote about around, you know, young players being told on the bus, you're going to get beaten up by someone. And I'm thinking, well, I don't understand the point of this. It's a bit strange. 
um, yeah, definitely. And I, th- I think I've chatted to you about. We chatted to a couple of, you know, a few players in the prem, and and actually, you you have got to be sometimes that person that's difficult to drop or is at least asking for feedback so the coach can't kind of just get away with going, look, Bales, you're not playing this week. Okay, yeah, no worries. That almost becomes quite easy for a coach as well. Um, and, I, yeah, and and and, and I, I, I've chatted to players who I would say of, you know, really would be really like stand up for stuff and then, and then I see them interviewed and I think, oh, wow, that's disappointing. Like, but it, that's the reality. Like it's a, it's a world where, like, if you ask someone who's in an environment, they're they're possibly not going to tell you the truth, because you've got to. There's got to be a fair bit of conforming going on. What are the masks? Did you feel like you had to wear? Um. So yeah, it was interesting what you were talking about the, the kind of, the party inside of I guess Sam. Sam <clears throat> big part of it but um i yeah so i enjoyed enjoyed going out when i was when i was a young young man you know and enjoyed um looking good i enjoyed my music i enjoyed um the things that nightlife can offer um funny enough like when, when i was playing one of the things i wanted to do was um Right, and I did was was throw parties. So I'd like hire out venues in in Cheltenham and Bristol at the time, and I'd, and I'd throw parties, and I was uh, enjoying that, and and that was kind of I fell into a role which I don't think was necessarily me. I think there's part of that which I still enjoy now. So I like creating environments where people can have a good time and and relax and be themselves. But I probably started to. Um, uh, maybe tick some stereotypes of of kind of young black professional sports people. I probably started to internalise some of those and thought I had to act upon them. Um, and that that was certainly you know, a mask which, as I matured or kind of understood myself a bit better, I, you know, I just didn't have to do. What uh, what was coaches' reaction to things like that? How did how did you feel, uh, coaches? Were in terms of understanding you. Um, yeah, you know, I look back now, and it, there's probably not many coaches who I'd say I had a, a, a personal connection with. Uh, no, like you said, I got on with most of my coaches, um, but no one who I, I could really talk to, you know, no one I could really connect with. And um, again, it was probably a little bit of just appeasing, say hello, maybe have a little chat about something and then, and then move on. There was never that that kind of deep connection with, with any, any of my coaches. And um, yeah, and it's interesting, like coaches know stuff as well. But, you know, for me, like going back to the kind of the party inside, like that became also a little bit of a, a mechanism for when I wasn't playing. So going going back to when when I was at Gloucester, you know, there was some incredible players there, especially in the outside backs, James Simpson, Daniel, Viner Corolla, Bullshaw, etc. Um, so I, I my my playing time was always really sporadic. Like I'd get a few games and then someone would come back and then I'd play a few more games. And I think some how I started to deal with that was I'd be going out. And um I think the coaches knew, like the coaches definitely knew, but no one spoke to me about it. No one said that's why you're doing that or that's a good thing or a bad thing. It was actually funny enough when I, 
when I was speaking to some other clubs um, at the end of my time at Gloucester about going there, I later found out that a couple of clubs didn't want to sign me because they heard that I liked the nightlife and stuff. But I never had a conversation with anyone. No one ever spoke to me about it. When I've gone to see those clubs, they never said, well, how about this? What's, is this true? Da, da, da. Um, so, yeah, just I guess I'd never had that conversation of, of kind of what was going on in my world. It was helping you. So did you have mentors? Would there be players? Or Because once again, this is like a, <clears throat> lots of this stuff resonates to me and then lots of this stuff resonates from my conversation with current players, really, around you're kind of trapped in this bubble and current coaches, really. Trapped in this bubble, some stuff going on. Some people aren't necessarily like telling you stuff that might be helpful, and you're possibly not that aware of it, or you are. And 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 it's it's often helpful to have someone who help you make sense of this and chat to and help you understand, you know, who you are a little bit more. What's what's your experience of that? Um, I've probably got a pretty tight friendship group but especially players kind of within the game there'd be a handful I'd consider friends so we'd, we'd talk to them a lot or I'd talk to them and we'd, talk, you know, we'd chat about things and that, that was important um, my parents probably specifically my dad was as well as being a uh, I'd definitely been a mentor and an important person in, in my you know my development a whole you know, heap of areas like our relationship um is, is a really important one and actually he, he's guided me a, a lot you know he's guided me and, and pushed me and, and helped me he said make sense of things uh, I think without that relationship I, I probably would have struggled a bit more Is there anything you would have done differently do you ever look back and during lockdown where got a bit of time to think and you're maybe out walking uh, pushing a pram or, or walking a child or whatever um, what do you ever look back and go, I wish I could have done something differently? Uh, I try not to. I think <clears throat> there's there's probably some times where I could have gone, well, what if, like, what if I had done this or, uh, or hadn't done that? You know, go, going back, like, I got into a, a bit of a phase um, where I didn't want to make mistakes in games. So I was just like, going out, if I didn't make a mistake, I was like high-fiving. I was like, yes, yeah, so you got through the game. <laughs> No zero touches, zero mistakes. <laughs> Bales has smashed it. That's it. And you know, looking back now, that was against everything that I was that I was about. You right. Know, was, That's where I ended up as well. Yeah, and I think you know, probably looking back now, I think well, if I had been more comfortable with being myself and and, and taking some risks and, and playing the game how I wanted to play it. I guess it could have gone two ways. They could have got rid of me, or maybe I could have, you know, done some 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 more incredible things. So, yeah, maybe maybe that one. Maybe about being a bit braver, um, having a bit more courage at times, just to you know, be myself and play out play the game I wanted to play. It. I think it's having just watched Quinn's uh, dismantled wasps. I think it's risky not to be yourself and 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 play to your DNA. Um, I think it's riskier that way than the other way. But I also get that coaches are often <clears throat> thinking about how do we minimise risk? And one of the ways they can minimise risk is for you to do some stuff that, you know, that that might be different to that. And and so I guess sevens, as it probably was with me as well, actually, was was the place where you were allowed to do this. Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I'd kind of... 
done the said found a lovely game at, at Millfield and that whole schoolboy circuit, and then uh, had a really enjoyable couple of tournaments at the Middlesex Sevens. Uh, one year we we lost in the final. The other another year we we won it, um, and that kind of put me on the the England Sevens radar. And yeah, that was just incredible. I used to I used to come back from from camps or tournaments just absolutely buzzing because I'd have just spent the last however many days taking people on, trying to beat people, getting loads of touches of the ball. Um, and I, that just gave me so much confidence because it was all the parts of the game that I love. And that's part of the reason I have such a strong love affair for sevens is because all the parts that I love, and this is you know selfish to me, all the parts that I love about the game you just see in abundance, like people taking each other on the, the battles of the two speedsters and uh, the skills that you show and the tenacity, like all that you just see in abundance. You you get to see it time and time and time again. So yeah, Sevens, sevens played a huge part in terms of giving me some confidence, um, doing the things that I enjoyed doing. And it definitely helped me kind of uh, pursue and, and, and develop as a 15s player as well. Top, uh, top three places you went Top three people you played with? <clears throat> uh, so I made my debut at the Wellington Sevens in New Zealand, which was amazing. So first time I'd ever been to New Zealand. At that time, that's when the cake team was just on fire and you had everyone in fancy dress, partying nonstop. Um, just the, yeah, an incredible experience. And, and obviously to make my debut there was 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 immense. Like it's funny, the lead up probably couldn't have gone any worse. Like I didn't listen to any of the the protocols. Like if you speak to me knows me, like I like I can sleep. <clears throat> I like to have a nap. I didn't listen to any of the the sleeping protocols on the flight. So I basically slept the whole flight to, to New Zealand. <laughs> I was just in a hole. The whole week I was in an absolute hole. I was sharing with Simon Amor and I'd I'd just be in and out of sleep. I'd look over to him and he'd be doing uh, dissertation on whatever he was doing at the time and I was just I was in a world of pain and I literally didn't feel normal until game day um, and I was, I was pretty nervous and it definitely had some excitement going on and I just remember my first touch against Canada uh, went the length and scored and it was just like just the the feeling of elation and just thinking I was in such a dark place at the start of the week barely stay awake barely walking a straight line so kind of how things turn around and and kind of making my, my debut there was, was incredible and then of course like as, as I said the, you know the environment the environment and the party afterwards and Wellington was was insane um, in terms of players so it was, it was a good England team back then um, Simon Amor, Ben Gollins, Henry Paul etc um, so they were all incredible uh, who did I used to like watching them uh, Areni Ae do you remember him yeah 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 <clears throat> Yeah, I used to like him. I used to like... Uh, I almost coached with him in Bermuda, but he couldn't get a visa. Oh, nice. Yeah, he 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 was he was good. He was doing some stuff I liked. Uh, who else did I like? Fabian Juries. Do you remember him? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. South African. Pretty yeah, simple, was, a little... Moved well. Yeah, exactly. Moved well. He was doing some stuff. And then you had some of the, the, the top Fijians knocking back then. So Serebi was still in and out a little bit. Um I think Rooney Bakker, he played then. So yeah, I was I was fortunate enough that there were some 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 of the big stars in sevens uh, playing at that time. So um as a young whippersnapper, yeah, it was pretty cool. Nice. And 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 I'm assuming from your time at um at Millfield, then you had the, the Sevens Maestro coaching you back then. Mr. Brimacon. 
Mr. Brem, was, uh, yeah. and how was that? I'm curious. Yeah, like, cool. So he, for some reason, like, he wasn't our main coach that year. I know he had been the coach of the first team previously, but that year he wasn't. So I'd heard all this stuff about Mr. Brimacombe, like how good he was and how he coached the game. And he literally came in and do like the odd session with us. And it was one of the first times that I'd come away from a training session just wanting to know more. Like what else could... That's what he's good at. This guy teach me, like, what is this? This is incredible. Um, And he had this mannerism about him as well, which I thought was pretty cool. So yeah, like just... uh, an incredible brain and um yeah just enjoyed enjoyed his sessions nice <clears throat> and then coaching so how did coaching come along what's the what's the story there yeah so like we're talking about never on my radar playing right there were so many other things that i was interested in or thought about doing after after i finished um but i guess also my, my perception of coaching as well like i just thought coaching was watching video, putting tactics together, and that was it. Um, and I started doing a little bit of coaching with uh, camps, and just almost as, as something to do, something to get uh, a little bit of money in my pocket, and I just really enjoyed it. And I started to understand that this was a people business, that this was not um, tactics and video analysis. It was like actually, you know, you got to try and connect with people and and put things across how they can understand it and try and understand how to get the best out of people. And just that curiosity of, okay, this is something different to what I thought it was, even though I'd been in rugby for a long time, was was fascinating. And that led me to uh, to want to do more and more. And you know, I said, I've always had this passion for sevens and I can't start to think, could that be a, a route or an avenue? But there's, there wasn't, you know, probably still isn't much of a pathway for sevens coaches, but I started doing um, schools and camps. I started doing some stuff with invitational teams and samurai. Mm -hmm. And then I got off the phone with a friend, uh, Marcel Garvey, one of my best friends. And we were talking, we'd always spoken about in our, during our playing days, we'd always room together. How cool would it be if we got a Jamaica sevens team going? Um, we'd always speak about that anyway long story short I ended up having a conversation with the chairman and he was like do you want to come and coach Jamaica and I was like yeah yeah let's go for it so flew over to Kingston um, it just what an incredible experience like one I was really proud because of my heritage um, being Jamaican so to go back and, and work with the national team but also it was completely different to anything I'd ever experienced. Like we rocked up, there was no balls, there was no grass on the pitch. Um, like to get a drink, you had to walk 400 meters and drink out of a hose. Like it was just completely different to the environment that I'd been in. Uh, even even doing some of the school stuff that I'd done early on, it was completely different. I was worlds apart. And again, I just found this fascinating. I was like, okay, like how am I going to work this out? How am I going to get to the best out of these players? And we did a few tournaments. We did the, the North American Championship. Uh, and then when I came home, I helped set up, a, uh, set up an exile team or a heritage team. So there's a lot of um, Jamaican heritage players in, in the UK. So we started to put a team together and, and knock about some of the invitational tournaments. So that was kind of my first taste of international sevens. It was 
a crazy few weeks uh, out there and doing, going to the tournaments, dealing from everything from players not having boots to visas to then trying to play against uh, the USA who were, who were all guns blazing at that time. So incredible experience, but just really then fueled my fire of, you know, I want to try and be a, an international sevens coach. Um, and there isn't many jobs in the world. There's not. There's not. I said like no, no clear pathway. So um, I started doing a bit with England Sevens, the academy. So spoken to Simon Amor. He said like you can help out uh, with Warren Abrahams. So I'd go down and I'd kind of learn a bit of what was and we'd share some ideas. Um, and this, you know, again, I was just doing this off my own back. I was something I was I was interested in. I wanted to learn more. So I'd go down when I could. And help out and then the the women's assistant job came up so this was just after just after Rio. it was assistant role with the, the england women's sevens and it just like a, an incredible opportunity so went for that I was fortunate enough to get to get the role um and then yeah there i was uh an international sevens coach nice who was uh was it assistant coach who was head coach yeah, so I went in. So it was, assist, it was assistant coach. Simon Middleton was was head coach of the 15s and 7s. Right. But because um, it was World Cup year for the 15s, effectively after a couple of weeks, like he just concentrated on the 15s. So I kind of went from assistant coach to effectively head coach. Uh, and I was, you know, I was definitely learning on the job. And um, yeah, things changed pretty quickly. Um and then from that, from after that season, we we qualified for the World Cup. Really, really great year, but challenging. So for those who don't know, we mm. after the Olympics, a lot of the, the the top English girls went and played 15s and left the sevens program. I think there was there was two who stayed from the Olympics, two or three. Um, so there was a brand new um host of, of of young girls coming into the program so like, we were just learning together like we were just on this journey and we were getting things right and getting things wrong and we you know, really came together when our backs were against the wall to qualify for the world cup um and at the back of that end of that season i was offered the the, the head coach role um which which led into still my favorite season of coaching uh so we had uh uh, you know some of the, some of the girls have done really well that first year, but then some of the the girls came back from 15s. Like some of the you know the, the stars of the game, Emily's parents. Yeah, they came back in, and I just I just loved that season. When I look back at it now, it's for the good and the bad. Like it was just so cool. Hey, will you tell everyone what you're up to at Core 37? Hi, Fletch. We're a teamwear brand based in the northeast, my sister company of Oddballs. We've got the largest sports sublimation factory in the UK and we've produced for the biggest brands in Europe over the past seven years. But with Core 37, our in-house brand, you can now access those prices direct to the customer. Why would people use Core 37? Uh, if I was to pick three flesh, it would be our lead time of three to four weeks, our price, which is lower than anybody else in the industry, and the fact that we're made here in the UK. What's the stuff you're most proud of with Core 37? Oh, there's loads of stuff, but the, the key one for me would be working for a company that, that genuinely believes in its own mission statement, which is to produce performance sportswear at an affordable price. And then underpinning that is the people. Everybody who works here is involved in grassroots sport in some way. And so we genuinely care about what we're doing here. 
Fletch, why do you want to partner with Core 37? Uh, apart from the fact you're Jordy, uh, great people, uh, lots of people involved in sport, really affordable and top quality. Thanks for joining us, Wilkie. Anyone who wants to find out more can go and have a play on their website at core-37.com or they can reach out directly to Tom at core-37.com. Um, what, what comes to your mind? What's the one or two highlights? I'm going to go. I'm going to ask you about the ouch moments in a bit. So let's get the highlights out of the way. And, and while you're thinking about it, actually. I actually think the sevens and fifteens women program could be so much better integrated, and I think that done well, we could do really well in both sports, and we could use it genuinely to help support creating even more skillful fifteens players. And the as you have done, bring through a a a, a group of of young uh, high potential. Uh, young women to come on and some of them will go play 15s and some of them will become seven specialists. So that's my, uh, that's my shout out to a better, better integration. Um, what were the two, one or two highlights? Uh, so couple of highlights would be uh, first tournament we did. So we went to a pre-season tournament at Elche in Spain. Elche, nice. Uh, the theme of the tournament was to find your love of sevens. Um, the reason that was cool is a lot of the girls had had a, a difficult time or had finished on a bad experience. So the ones who had gone to um, the Olympics, obviously missing out on uh, a bronze medal and, and maybe not enjoying the experience as much as they'd have liked. Um, you had young players who are still, you know, really finding their feet in the game. So the theme of the tournament is just like, let's find our love for the game. And uh, we ended up winning the tournament and played some pretty cool stuff. But just seeing how people loved working hard for each other, people loved going out and, and trying things and having a, uh, some maybe some freedom that they hadn't necessarily had before was, was really cool. It's, it's definitely a tournament that I remember well. Um, and then just the whole build-up and... I guess then finishing in a, a really cool place for the Commonwealth Games. So we, we effectively had six months to prepare for the Com Games. Um, so we had a, a team that come back together. We knew to medal that we had to knock off one of the big three. So New Zealand, Australia, Canada. Um, the, uh, the whole plan and, and process and finding out who we were as a team and what was important to us and as we did that through the World Series, which is a really tough place to learn, and, and we definitely had to find uh, dig deep at times and ask them some tough questions, we just we just got to a point where we went to the Com Games at the Gold Coast, and I just felt that the the the, the culture, the sense of people being able to be themselves, was just really uh, amazing and and vibrant. And we went and, and we came away with that bronze medal. You know, we, we beat Canada in the bronze medal match. And it was just, the whole Com Games is incredible. Like, it was, again, one of the best things I've ever done. I was a complete people watcher. I used to love sitting in the canteen and trying to work out what sports people did. As you'd see, like a gymnast come in and then a seven-foot basketball player and just, just loved it. I'd, I'd get up in the morning and go and grab a coffee and you just see some of the Kenyan athletes just doing laps of the of the park, like just flying past you. 
Uh, it's just it's just surreal and, and and just the time that I absolutely loved. And as I said, for the, for that group to to come away, get a bronze medal in uh, an incredible environment, and, and so many of their family had travelled over. Just yeah, really special. So yeah, highlights that 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 was that was incredible, real amazing time. Nice. I love the multi sport games, and then maybe maybe the theme of every rugby match or session should be find your love of the game. It would be a reasonable uh, start point. Um, you talked about it like asking you tough questions. I actually think I think sevens coaching asks you some pretty tough questions compared to fifteens. Having done both, now I, I definitely haven't experienced like some of the the stuff that people in the Premier are experiencing at the moment. So the head coaches and stuff. But what's the what's what have been the the tough the ouch moments, the tough questions that sevens has asked of you as a coach? It was interesting because I think it relates back to some of my reflections on, on playing. Like there was times where I just had to stay true to what I believed in um, when that was really tough. Like we'd have a, potentially a bad tournament and you, you could see some, some doubt, um, not so much from the players, but it was probably there, but definitely from people sitting around the team. Um and actually, you know that that kind of bit of resilience and courage to to, to say, well, I, I believe this is going to work. I believe with the players that we've got, this is the right way to play the game. Um, but that was tough. Like I said, there was, there was there was a couple of times where I was like, you start to question yourself and, and and do you need to change things? And maybe the easiest thing would have gone, well, I'm just going to do it like this. But yeah, I think uh, you know, thankfully for the for the group. We, we kind of stayed true on that and um, kept believing. What else? Any other stuff? I mean, and, and I can can definitely resonate with that. There's been times in my career as a coach where, where I haven't done that and I'll, I won't get that time back again. I think uh, for me, actually, it was the story of this, this season was an interesting one because, and this was probably an experience of, of a head coach having to deal with this for the first time. So, uh, incredible six months building up to Commonwealth Games it was one of the pinnacle events we were trying to peak for but it was actually a year where there was two pinnacle events with the World Cup so we've done you know, we've, got, we've got what we were looking for um, things were going really well but off the back of the Commonwealth Games the, you know, the, the girls still didn't know whether they had contracts for next year there was so much uncertainty around the programme who was going to get contracted uh, or recontracted sorry um, and, and that was tough for me like I, I hadn't been in that position previously where that level of uncertainty had affected me on such a deep level because you know f- f- I'm kind of okay with with uncertainty and a bit of adversity I don't, you know, I don't mind it too much but when I felt responsible for so many other individuals that was that was tough and actually Again, on reflection, looking at how that affected the team dynamic, how that affected the, the environment was was tough. And actually, you know, we went to the World Cup, uh, you know, no excuses, but we went to the World Cup where you know, the, the, a lot of the players had only just found out whether they were going to get contract again for the next season. So trying to deal with that was was rough and um, you know, it was an experience, I think, that has now set me up better if that thing was going to happen again or such a thing would happen again but I probably wasn't prepared to to deal with that at the time. Yeah I remember us having a similar season where we were equal first in the world and 
contract negotiations were definitely not helping our performances. And it was, uh, I, 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 and Banjo was sorting it out. But I, I remember thinking, I wouldn't want to be sorting this out. This is definitely like tough. Um, it's probably the side of, of, of coaching that um, a lot of people don't consider. Uh, and I probably haven't considered either. Mm. I, was, I was loving the being on the field with, with the players and and trying to create a real strong environment. Um, a lot of the the other stuff, the bureaucracy, etc., was was something I wasn't necessarily prepared for. Yeah, yeah. Um, and now you're working in a, in the DNI space. What do you want to kind of share some stuff around that, and maybe we'll we'll dive into it a little bit as well. Yeah, I mean, again, like things have just happened. It was it was not by any means planned. Um, long, long story short, the the events in America with the the murder of, of George Floyd was a, a time where I was like, okay, what can I do? Because you know. This is this is was not a one-off. This was something which had happened multiple times, um, and also the, the deeper meaning that race and racism and inequality. How I understood that from my 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 dad's journey coming to England as a young boy from Jamaica, and actually now being a parent myself and 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 going well, how are we going to make things different? And you know, I, I certainly. I'm not in a position to, to solve the world's problems, but I looked at, well, what's my sphere of influence? You know, what can I do to make things better? Um, and, and obviously my, my whole adult life I've been in rugby. So I looked at rugby. I, was, I looked at other players, current, former, and connected with them, seeing how they were doing, checking in on them, seeing you know, what their thoughts were. Because at this point, it was still really raw. Um, but I think what the what that started was a, a broader discussion around uh, inclusion, equality, racism, um, and the specific, how that specifically showed itself within sport um, and in this context, rugby. So uh, connected people, we had some, some Zoom calls, some really good discussion about what we thought some of the challenges were and how things could improve. And, and that led me to speaking to the key stakeholders in England in rugby, so the RFU, PRL, Premiership Rugby, uh, and the RPA. Um, uh, yeah, I'm moving on. I'm, I'm now in a position where uh, I advise with the RPA. Uh, I've spoken at, at great length with, with Premier Rugby and, and also sit on a, a committee with the RFU. And um, the whole aim is, is to try and make some change. Um. <clears throat> Before I ask where you think we're at and and where we're going, what what would your experiences be of, of this as a player? So, yeah, what was it like? Yeah, it's an interesting one because <clears throat> I kind of conflicted. Like in one hand, some of my greatest feelings of belonging and purpose has come from rugby 100% I can put my hand on my heart and say that but at the same time it's, it's also some of the, the times where I've, I've not felt like that I felt the opposite of that you know the, the, the first time uh, I was ever called the n-word was on a rugby pitch you know when I was a young kid I was a young kid the first time I was someone had, had 
ever said that to my face was on a rugby pitch. And um, yeah, I think that probably showed the the passion for the game because I could, that could have easily been the, the bit that put me off when I didn't want to go back. Um, again, as, 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 a, as a kid, I, I went and played in South Africa on tour and, and there was quite a bit of racism there. Like there was, there was me and another uh, black player on the team and we we went to go and stay with families as you do on these tours you get you get put with you get ability and you get put with different families um the other black player on the team was was made to sleep in the shed wasn't allowed in the house um uh, in one game i was i was spat in the face and called uh, uh the, the the equivalent of of, of the M word in, in South Africa, um, so I've got experience of of not subtle but overt racism in rugby. Um, even in my professional career, I was I was racially abused by uh, another player and also a supporter. Um, so it's it's real. It's not this is not like a figment of people's imagination. I think for a long time rugby has put out well that doesn't happen in our sport. And you know, I'm not saying rugby has the same history of overt racism that football has because it doesn't. It, that's, you know, that's just obvious. Um, but to think that society's issues don't show themselves in rugby is, is ridiculous. Um, so yeah, I've got I've got some lived experience. And um, how did the people around you deal with those situations? I'm curious because you know I know that as an example that I played in a game where it happened to to one of my good friends and uh, and nothing was ever done. Like, yeah, I mean, really. uh, there was a, a sense of probably awkwardness that a lot of people kind of addressed this issue with, um, of not quite knowing what to say. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, it's, it's the same as anything. Like you just got to be there for people. You know, if, if, if something like was to happen to, to a player on your team, or your school, it's just being there for them yeah. as a person, as a friend. Like, don't worry about saying the wrong thing, just be there for them. And I think that's the most important thing where, you know, when you're looking at repercussion or punishment, okay, that, that's, yes, things need to be better in, in, in that sense and, and, and more vigilant. But ultimately, it's just about being there for, you, for your teammates. Where do you think we are now? Do you think we're in a better place, a, a different place, a worse place? Well, I think. Yeah, what's what's cool and what's good and positive is that some of the discussions around whether it be racism, whether it be inclusion, um, are happening that have never happened before. You know, th- th- there's been conversation that I've been a part of, which I know just it just hasn't happened in rugby, which is really positive. That's that's a really good step forward. Um, I guess when we look at the, the landscape of the game, specifically in England, um, there's some real challenges and some things that we've just got to do better. Um, you know, the, the game um, is is not inclusive to everyone. And the perception of who the game's for is uh, something that rugby really needs to challenge um, because there is so many people within our society who don't think the game's for them. And I think that's something which saddens me because I think if we look at sport and say sport should be for everyone, you know, I often look at or ask the question of 
why aren't our teams and organisations and, and governing bodies diverse by default? So, you know, I can, I can walk down the street and I can see a diverse society. Why aren't our rugby clubs, our national governing bodies, our coaches, why aren't they diverse by default? So then you have to ask yourself the question, well, how do we get here? Like, what's the, what's the history? What's happened before where we get into a situation where, um, yes, let's celebrate that we have the most uh, diverse, in terms of ethnicity, England men's team ever. And let's, let's celebrate that. Let's celebrate that the fact that our, our, our red roses are, are dominating the world. But are we seeing that same diversity in the other areas of the game? And the answer is no. And I think that's the, the bit that we really need to push is, yes, we need greater participation for everyone and for people to understand that this is a game for everyone. Um, but also the infrastructure and, and the, the support mechanisms that drive the game equally need to be diverse. Yeah, I think there's some, yeah, I guess there's some stuff we just, we really need to be more intentional around, like, you know, where is rugby available? As You know, as an example, there'd be certain parts of the country where that just doesn't, isn't available to people. Um, and also, I guess, even from a, like a, yeah, a cognitive diversity point of view, look at the top of our game, even if we were just to go cognitive diversity, actually, how much of that is there really in existence? Um, so, yeah, no, it's, uh, and we have to be intentional. Like, it's not going to just, Change, unfortunately, forever. Well, and, that, and that's the thing, because you know, people have, have put to, put forward the argument to me that, well, with time, things will change. But time is no metric of change. Like, as you said, people need to be intentional about making things happen for things to happen. Time won't do that. Um, I think, like like you said, the understanding of um, how and the wants is so important. Because for me. I mean, the diversity, inclusion, and, and that whole topic, this, this isn't like a, a nice to do. This isn't, well, let's just get more women in the game because that's the right thing to do or it's a nice thing to do. Let's not get more uh, black players or Asian players in the game because that's a nice thing to do. As I said, like, I liked performance. You know, I, I want our game to be as great as it can be. And for that to happen, you need to have the greatest range of experience and thought process and backgrounds and uh, understanding for that to happen. Like for our game to be as great as it can be, you, know, you can't tell me that everyone in the room is going to look the same, think the same and, and be from the same place. That just doesn't happen. Yeah. I mean, when I was writing about my life in rugby and uh, I just was thinking about the impact of hanging around with people that were really, really different to me like through those really informative years of my life where for, a, you know, from background, from everything, really just a really like different group of, of young, uh, hopefully going to become young men. It had such an impact on me that just different perspectives, different, trying to understand people differently. It was, uh, it, it was fascinating, like replaying it back in my mind. And then, I started like Googling all their names and still in touch with some of them. And then I was thinking, oh, someone there, I haven't you know, reached out to this person type stuff. It was, uh, it was a pretty uh, incredible experience. Where do you think we're going to get to? So uh, where do you, where do you, what's your dreams, you know, for the next 
kind of few years, where could we get to? Um, I think we can get to a place where, like I said, the, the, the barriers, the perception of this game is for certain people and not for others disappears. Like, whereas this, this, is, this is a game that has uh, everyone can flourish in. Um, I think that would be a, a special place to be. But to get there, what we've got to be more confident about is celebrating identity, people feeling more comfortable to be themselves. Um, and as I said, like a lot of these conversations which people feel uncomfortable about are so important. Uh, for instance, uh, and a rugby example, and it's by no means uh, yeah, perfect, but if you look at um, New Zealand, uh, the All Blacks, the All Black Sevens, etc., they have made a conscious effort to celebrate and to understand the diverse makeup of their country. So understanding the, the Maori influence, the Pacific Island influence, the European influence, celebrating all of those cultural differences and then coming together in a common goal is something which I just don't think we do in this country. Like it's, you know, England has changed a lot. You know, to current society where the national dish is Indian food. Um, you know, you go back 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, and, and, and the country's changed a lot. And change has to be stopped being seen as, something that we need to be worried about or afraid of. And actually we need to celebrate. We need to celebrate the impact of different communities within um, our society. We need to also understand that common goal because for you know, being English, being English for, for you, Rusty, might mean something very different than it does for me. But actually if we're playing on a team together for England, we need to have an understanding of what that means for each other, but also see where we can be unified. And I guess another example that would, would be the, the South African World Cup winning team and some of the stories around there where you're getting people from literally the other ends or bookends of society coming together, but not under a, a conformity of, of we're just going to hide ourselves and, and, and then we'll be okay. Of, really being themselves, celebrating their stories and their identity uh, and that making them stronger. And I think that's the journey that rugby needs to go on in England is that um, if we can do that and, and that means from an individual point of view, from a team, club, school, that we just start doing that more. We start really asking those questions of ourselves and of others and truly trying to create environments where people can be themselves and feel a sense of belonging. Um, as I listen to you speak, it, uh, it reminds me of two things. It, it makes me think, uh, God, I wish I could speak that eloquently about this topic. And secondly, it made me think about uh, when I spoke to you, I think it was, was it the weekend where you were going, oh, look, I just feel like I've found my purpose and a bit of a sweet spot here around stuff that I feel really like connected with. <clears throat> and I can definitely sense it. Uh, when I did the pod with Ugo, there was a moment in the pod where I was, same as I was there with you, I was a little bit like, makes me pretty emotional just kind of hearing how kind of tuned into this you are, really. I mean, 
why do you think that is? Why do you think it's it's like when, like when you said on the phone the other day, like started to find my purpose? Why is that? Just just because it, you know, there, there's a real personal experience here. There's a real personal experience of understanding um, my journey, how rugby's played a part of that, um, and and ultimately how. I can actually have some influence and power to open that opportunity to more people, whether that be as, as a coach um, and, and trying to help create environments where people can show them whole, their whole selves in a real authentic manner, whether it be uh, the small influence that I have in terms of speaking to governing bodies or, or, or coming on podcasts like this. It, for me, it, it just fits. Like, I just feel like I've, I've put on a hat and it fits. Um, and I don't know where this is going to go. And I don't know, um, you know, I haven't, definitely haven't got all the answers. I haven't got, okay, we'll just do this, this and this and we'll be fine. But I am committed to go on this journey. And um, you know, whether if, if this is something I do, I hope and, and I truly feel driven to do. If this goes on for, for years and years and years and years, then I feel like I've lived a good life. I've actually done something with the, the opportunities and the privileges that I have had through rugby and the people that have supported me is actually, you know, you look at how you, how you can give back and how you can do something to impact the world. Well, yes, I'm not going to change the world doing what I'm doing, but I can change potentially a small part and to be a part of that gives me a great sense of um, of enthusiasm and 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 yeah, not to feel good about myself, but purpose. I think is yeah the right word. No, she can make a small dent in the universe. Yeah, um, I'm going to do some one worders with you in a second. But if people want to reach out to you, where's where's the best place? Are you a Twitter, a LinkedIn, a Facebook, a TikToky type man? What's the what's yeah, sorry. The Funny enough, I've just deleted Twitter and Instagram. Have you? Um, You've cleansed yourself. Yeah, just distraction. It was just I was not using it uh, positive right way. Yeah, yeah it's like, I think you can use social media in a positive way, hundred percent. But I was just finding I was spending too much time being distracted by nonsense. Um, so yeah, I've deleted it. So. Don't hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at the moment. I might come back at another time. Uh, LinkedIn, LinkedIn's probably the best place. I'm still on there. Um, so, yes, yeah, search for me on, on James Bailey and uh, I'll try and get back to one if anyone's interested in talking. Cool. Nice. I'm going to do one word. There's quite a few players and there's quite a few places. So I'm going uh, Emily Scarrett. Regal. Regal, she's the queen. Uh, Simon Amor. This is the most thoughtful one worders I've ever done, by the way. Normally people are quick. I, I, I should be able to just knock these back. Simon Amor, bang, go. What's in your head? Opportunity. Uh, ben Gollins. Smarts. Uh, Holly Aitchison. Ronaldinho. She's skillful. Uh, Marcel Garvey. 
brother? Uh, Gloucester. Passion. Uh, London Irish. Resilience. Fifteens. Career. Sevens. Passion. Coaching. Curious. Family. World. Man, we got into the zone there. I love the fact that you said coaching curious. Because I was speaking to someone today and I actually think that's the I think that's the secret. Trying to remain curious when it seems like there's a few obvious answers. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. I think it is one of those one of those things that people do where you're just constantly finding the situation where you go. I don't know anything. I thought, I, thought, <laughs> I thought I knew something. I thought I was on the right track. And then you read or speak to someone or see something and it just opens up a whole new world. And that's definitely been the reality for me. You never completed, unfortunately. You never completed. Mate, thanks so much. It's been an absolute pleasure hearing your story and hear you speak so passionately about uh, the stuff that you're doing. And uh, let's uh, let's keep in touch and uh, I'll catch you soon. Yeah, honestly, thanks, mate. I muted it instead.